This Week at Hope Point. If you're in this culture right now, you would think this culture would say something is wrong. Families are destroyed, children are destroyed, disintegration from the top down, governments are corrupt, businesses are corrupt, something's wrong. But they don't see that. When you read the book of Revelation, all of the plagues that happen in this book are the same plagues that happened to Egypt. The book of Revelation says, in the end times, people will be like Pharaoh. And they'll look at all of this. God help us. But nobody's crying out to God. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, fellow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as Richard speaks to us from God's holy word. The Olympics have been around for a long time, but they, they weren't recorded until 776 BC, a five-day event held in Ellis, Greece. At the height of the Olympics popularity, um, crowds as large as 46,000 would crowd into the stadium there in Ellis. And in order to get everybody's attention that the games were started or a new event was started, there was great need to have a trumpeter that would announce the start of the games. The most famous of the trumpeters was a guy named Hadorus of Megara. As a matter of fact, he went on to win 11 different gold medals in trumpeting. Maybe there was a, an event there that's no longer in the Olympics, blowing a trumpet. Interestingly, in 303 BC, when King Demetrios Polyorchetes entered into battle against the city of Argos, he called upon Herodorus to blow the trumpet to prepare the troops for battle, and the big man picked up and blew two trumpets at one time and greatly inspired the troops, and they were successful in battle. So when you think about the life of, of Herodorus, you think about a man blowing a trumpet in order to gain the attention of large amounts of people. So when you come to Revelation chapter 8 and 9, we read about seven angels blowing seven trumpets to gain the attention of the world that the judgment of the Lord is coming. And the trumpet blowing is also to reassure believers that they can fully depend on Christ and fully trust him, that he will blow the trumpet one day and evil will be destroyed and their faithfulness will be rewarded. Last week, we looked at five of the judgments that come from the blowing of those trumpets. Today, we're going to look at the sixth warning about the coming judgment of God that comes from the blowing of the sixth trumpet. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day, month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000, which is 200 million. And I heard their number. That's a lot of mysterious language to us, so we can break it down this way. There's a golden altar in heaven before the throne of God. And when the sixth angel blows his trumpet, there's a voice that comes out of the altar. Surely it's the voice of God. And the voice of God tells this sixth angel, now release four other angels that are going to do great damage on the earth as part of the judgment 
of God. Now, before we look at this sixth angel, exactly what happens, I want to remind you, this is the second time in the book of Revelation that we see, um, that we see angels restraining power that's going to end up in destruction on earth. Revelation 7, God was holding back four winds. Revelation 9, 13, God was holding back four angels. As we've seen in the book, it's a highly repetitive book. These are one and the same, just told in a different way. And then outside of the book of Revelation, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, there is a verse that talks about God restraining a man who's called the man of lawlessness, and one day he'll be released in the world to cause great pain. They're all talking about the same event, the rise of demonic activity as we approach the end of Christ. And let me also tell you that these movements of God on earth in Revelation are always preceded by the prayers of the church. So you're gathering today and our praying together today and you're praying with each other throughout the week and hopefully we'll see prayer movements continue to get stronger and stronger because all the movements of God in Revelation are always preceded by the prayers of the church. So well, before we look at the sixth trumpet, since it's so unique and the language is so interesting to our 21st century minds, I, I want to just look at the, a little overview in case some of you weren't here last week of the previous five judgments. We saw five trumpets blow, five judgments released, and in those releasing of judgments, we saw um, commerce disrupted on the oceans, shipping traffic disrupted. We saw fresh drinking water disrupted on the earth. And then the first of the judgments that we saw last week from the blowing of the first trumpet was an interesting quote about fire on the planet. Revelation 9, the first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. I've been very careful with you all since teaching this book that I've, I've never said we can know with absolute certainty that this particular thing that's happening in chapter 2 or chapter 4 or here in chapter 9 is happening right now and therefore Christ is about to return. What I've tried to tell you is that when you start to see unique accumulations of the kind of judgments that are discussed and repeat in the book, when you start to see unique demonstrations of that, you should at least ask yourself, could it be that these are the trumpets of God that will usher in the return of Christ? And the answer is yes, it could be. Now, many people have said that before, and it wasn't. But the way that you're supposed to live in life is supposed to look at what's occurring on earth, what's being mentioned in the book of Revelation, and say, if the trumpet was to blow today and Christ will return, am I ready? We're to always be thinking that, but sometimes it looks more than ever like we are approaching the end of times. And you say, well, which of the trumpets is, gonna, is blowing right now? And I, I don't know. And that's the great beauty about the mystery of Revelation is God leaves enough mystery in there for you to say, I don't know for certain if it's right now, but if it were, is my life ready to meet my king? But... Having said that, let me tell you, after I finished preaching last week, I was just reading the news, 
And I was thinking about these fires that are occurring in this first judgment of the trumpets in Revelation. And I came across um, this article in, um, in uh, the Associated Press. And it says, heat torches southern Europe. And it was written, as you can see, fairly recently. In July 18th, and this was the, what the article said. All throughout Europe now, in southern Europe, ferocious wildfires are raging in Spain and France. 30 forest fires in Spain, and all, it goes all the way to Portugal and to the Balkans. A fire chief in southwestern France said, we've never seen fire like this ever. The fire's literally exploding and creating other fires. We are facing extreme and exceptional circumstances. 31,000 people in France have been evacuated. 1,700 firefighters have been brought into France. 600 have been brought into Portugal. And the situation is exaggerated because of the heat wave that's coming across the earth. 748 heat-related deaths in Spain and the highest recorded temperature ever in Portugal just a few weeks ago, 117 degrees Fahrenheit. In Britain... Officials have issued the first ever extreme heat warning. And the hot weather in the UK was expected to be so severe that train operators feared that it might melt and bend the rails that the trains ride on. So you say, well, does this mean the this is the return of Christ right now? I don't know. This is how, this is how you read the book of Revelation. It's like going to, I don't know how many of you grew up at the county fair. I grew up in the Augusta Exchange Club Fair. I just talked with a couple at the first service. They loved the Indiana State Fair. And the guy, Mickey Deering, loved this event. Mickey's sort of a brute guy, and so he loves ringing the bell. If you've ever seen this event, you take a big sledgehammer, and you hit a, a platform, and you drive a puck up a pole, and somebody that's not too strong might drive it up a third of the way, and somebody a little stronger, two-thirds. But then you get a big old guy, and... Bam! And it hits the bell and you get the teddy bear that you get to present to your wife. So this is what's happening in the book of Revelation. You have these judgments and you go, wow, that looks like that would usher in the return of Christ. It looks like the things we're seeing in the world now. But then you wait 10 years. Wow, he didn't return. And then there's another unusual occurrence on earth and the bell goes higher and it looks like even that's more extreme and and the what we're to live in is that one day there's going to be such a release of the trumpets of God and the angels of God that this will be the final trumpet and the Lord will will return now let's look at the sixth trumpet the command was release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour, day, and month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, I'm going to tell you where I think John is going with this. I think John is saying that what's going to happen as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ is an increase of the release of demonic activity in culture and in society all over the world. Increased in demonic activity, which decreases rational thought and reason among culture. That is, mankind will grow so rebellious toward the end of Christ that mankind will virtually say to God, we want there to be more evil in the world. We want to do more evil. 
We love evil, and God releases the very evil that mankind wants to experience. And when that evil is released, those demons lead distorted people in their thinking to engage in destructive acts that lead to global global death. The reason why I think we can see that this is demonic activity, I'll build my case of why this is demonic activity in this sixth trumpet. It started last week. Revelation 9, when he, this is after Satan fell, and we saw that he fell into this large crevasse, this abyss. When he opened the abyss, when the devil opened the abyss, Smoke rose from it like the smoke from a giant furnace. And out of the smoke, locusts, we saw last week was another name for demons. Locusts came down on the earth to torture the people for five months. And during those days, people will seek death but will not find it. It just paints a world of extraordinary dissatisfaction, hopelessness, because they've got everything they want, now all of this new evil, and they're still dissatisfied. The locusts or the demons had as king over them the angel of the abyss whose name in Greek is Apollyon or destroyer. So we spent all of last week looking at that and you say, well, why are you going back to it this week? Because this is such an urgent, vital topic. I want to remind you again, based on this verse and what we'll see today, Satan is not your friend. He lures you onto a beautiful train that's headed off a cliff. He makes rebellion sound cool and fun, and those who join him in his rebellion, he himself slaughters along the way. Every pill of pleasure is laced with poison. Every open door he provides for you goes right to prison. Every bed of sinful pleasure is actually an electric chair. And this is what Satan has been doing all of his existence, luring people into things that he promises will be pleasurable and ends their, ends their life. Revelation 9, this is the command, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates, and a third of mankind was destroyed. Now people have dedicated a lot of time and a lot of ink through the years to talk about what does it mean that they were released by the river Euphrates. We can differ, differ, differ on this, disagree on this, a lot of people think it's the literal Euphrates River. It's called the Great River, and it's always referred to as the Great River in the Bible. You remember that the Garden of Eden was located between the Euphrates River and the Tigris River there in a land called Mesopotamia, which means the land between two rivers. The Euphrates River flows from Turkey down through Iraq and Syria, empties into the Persian Gulf. It's the largest river in southwest Asia. But I really think that John is not talking necessarily. He's using the Euphrates River because they understand what it means. But I think he's wanting the church to, then and now to understand it's a metaphor of danger. Because every time God's people in the Old Testament suffered harm, the armies that came to them, whether it was Babylon, that came from the east or Assyria that came from the north had to come across the Euphrates River. In fact, in this letter to Revelation, the Roman Empire 
was bordered on the eastern side by the Euphrates River. And on the other side of the Euphrates was the Parthian Empire, which was a great threat to the Roman Empire because the Parthian soldiers were able to ride horses while shooting. They were great at archery. They were terrifying to their opponents, and Rome feared what was beyond the Euphrates River. So I think when John talks about the Euphrates River, he's talking about danger that comes from demonic forces when we depart from God. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, I get that by going to Revelation 16, and I hate to skip seven chapters, but we need to to prove this point. Because Revelation 16 talks about the Euphrates River and what comes out of it. So Revelation 16. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. So there have been many people in life that say these 200 million troops that are coming across the Euphrates, I remember in the 70s, everybody taught when they were teaching the book of Revelation that these 200 million troops are troops from China that are going to come from the east, cross the Euphrates, and invade Israel. But I don't think from reading Revelation chapter 16, which we just did, they're not army troops at all. They are, as you can see, one, two, three, four, five, five lines down. They're demonic spirits. The 200 million troops are 200 new releases of demons in the world. That's the threat. The, the threat is not some Chinese army that's going to take over Israel. The, the greatest threat in life is a new release of demonic onslaught that perverts the reasoning of man and leads man to make decisions that lead to destruction. Let's read about, back to Revelation chapter 9, and read about these spirits. Last week, we were terrified when God compared them to locusts, and those locusts looked awful. This week, he compares them to horses because of the Parthian Empire. Oh, before I get to Revelation 9, let me just, this is the point I wanted to make from Revelation 16. Sorry about this. I want you to notice, this is the reason that I think that this is the, the strategy of Satan in the end times. Three impure spirits, and look where they came from. Out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So the danger of these 200 million newly released demonic forces in the world, their power is in their mouth. Their power is in their words. Their power is in their teaching. Their power is in their philosophy. Their power is in their false reasoning. Now let's look at Revelation chapter 9. The horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their, their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions. You know this is symbolic language. Get a horse that has the head of a lion? 
But look at their power. Out of their mouths came smoke and sulfur and fire. The only time we ever see this is this combination of fire, smoke, and sulfur is when the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed when they had improper thinking toward God and the whole city was destroyed because of their sinful behavior. They were destroyed by horses that looked like lions. They were destroyed because of their, of their sin. So the mouths of these demons are the problem. Look how you see this more in Revelation 9. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. One more time. The power of the horses was in their mouths. Whoever says that about a horse? I mean, I am a little bit afraid of a horse when I'm holding up an apple to it and it has to eat out of my hand. But that's the only time I've ever been afraid of a horse's mouth. But here, the ferocity of the demonic influence in the last times comes out of the mouth of the demons because it is through their teaching that the world is influenced toward evil thinking and evil living. You don't even need to know this in Revelation. You can read it in 1 Timothy 4. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So you say, how is the world going to end up? I don't think the world is, my opinion, I don't think the world's going to end up with some huge battle in the Middle East along the Euphrates River. I think that's easy to focus on that because it focuses away from here. All I'm doing is waiting for something to go down in Israel. What's happening now here is a demonic release of, of deceptive teachers that are leading people to believe lies. I read an interesting article this week in the Atlantic magazine. Now, I'm not a reader of the Atlantic much. It's not a Christian magazine. The author that wrote it was not Christian. But I saw the title, and it was written five years ago, and I thought it could have been written five minutes ago. How America Lost Its Mind. I'll just read to you some of the highlights of the article. And I want you to hear this about these demonic spirits that are influencing thinking, mouths. During the past half century, we Americans have given ourselves over to all kinds of magical thinking. Anything goes relativism and belief in small and large fantasies that thrill us. And most of us haven't realized how far-reaching our strange new normal has become. The institutions and forces that once kept us from indulging. Now, this is important. It's exactly what we've seen in Revelation. These institutions that used to restrain absurd thinking, now they're promoting it, is what he's saying. It's interesting. The institutions and forces that once restrained, kept us from indulging the flagrantly untrue or absurd, then he names them, the forces, Media, academia, government, corporate America, professional associations, respectable opinion in the aggregate. Now they have enabled and encouraged every species of fantasy over the past few decades. 
So you can see this is a secular writer. He's noticing that there seems to be no restraint in the, the institutions that used to sort of speak semi-wise. Now they're speaking ludicrous crazy talk. There's a lifting of restraint and a release of, of the absurd. Then he answers the question at the end of the article, so what is the greatest force that's causing this new wave of thinking? And it's amazing, not shocking, it's the internet. Among the web's one billion sites, now again, in Revelation, John just thought up a great big number. He said 200 million troops. It's a lot bigger than that. One, among the web's one billion sites, believers in anything and everything can find thousands of fellow fantasists with collages of facts to support them. Before the internet, crackpots were mostly isolated and surely had a harder time remaining convinced of their alternate realities. Now, their devoutly believed opinions are all over the airwaves and the web, just like actual news. Now, all of the fantasies look real. This is a secular writer that's noticing that the world and culture is being given over to the absurd. And there's no more restraint that keeps us from believing in that which is not reality at all. And now we conclude in Revelation 9 with the heart, the saddest part, even when culture begins to see that this uh, fantastical thinking, this absurd thinking actually leads to destruction, nobody can deny it. Not like it's a, a very safe and good place, noble place to live right now with all of this wild thinking. Nobody is standing up and saying it's wrong. This is how Revelation says it. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So the writer is saying that as people give themselves to idols that have no eyes, ears, and mouth, people have lost the ability to see truth, hear truth, and live out a truthful life. They're like the idols that they're worshiping. They've lost the ability to reason in their mind what is true. And what's interesting here is when the writer says what happens when people begin to worship these, these idols. Verse 21 said, nor did they repent of their murders and their magic arts and their sexual immorality or their, or their thefts. The writer is telling us that when a society gives itself over to the worship of evil, and of the worship of idols, the result is these four behaviors being released in society, which is murder is on the rise, theft is on the rise, 
Sexual immorality is on the rise and drug use is on the rise. That's what the writer means by magic arts because it comes from the Greek word pharmakia, which in ancient times, magic was always done with the use of drugs. So when people worship that which is evil, God lifts the restraints, demons go out to deceive, and you know that they're at work because there's an increase in sexual immorality, violent crime, theft, and drug use. So when you look at Revelation um, 6, 19, these verses in 20 through 21, I share them with you today for, for a few reasons. Number one is I want you to see how determined culture is to rebel against God. If you're in this culture right now, and like this secular writer of the Atlantic, you would think this culture would say something is wrong. This is not right. This is not healthy. This is not wholesome. Families are destroyed. Children are destroyed. Disintegration from the top down. Governments are corrupt. Businesses are corrupt. Something's wrong. But they don't see that. When you read the book of Revelation, all of the plagues that happen in this book are the same plagues that happened to Egypt in the book of Exodus. And the Bible says that when Pharaoh experienced these 10 judgments of God, you would have thought he would have repented. But the, the Bible says in verse 22, Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. So if you were Pharaoh and you saw frogs invading your kitchen, you saw the Nile River turn to blood, you saw boils breaking out skin infections all over every person in Egypt and eventually death to households, you would cry out to God, save us. But the book of Revelation says in the end times people will be like Pharaoh and they'll look at all of this. You would think the people in Europe right now with all of these fires would be crying out to God, save us. We need help from on high. We need rain. We need help. We need the heat to be cooler. God help us. But nobody's crying out to God in Europe. So that's one reason I share with you to let you know that culture is going to be determined to rebel against God. A second reason I, I talk about these, these, these plagues in Egypt or these uh, plagues in Revelation 9 is so that you as a church will understand between now and the return of Christ, there's always going to be an antagonism against the preaching of the church. You might come here today and say, man, I wouldn't preach this to try to win the world. That's exactly what the world is saying for the church to do. Stop telling the truth. So you shouldn't be disheartened that the more we preach, the more culture is going to resist and not, not repent. I want to come back to the issue of repentance in a couple weeks, but I want to ask a final question as we close today. If you have been resisting God all your life, 
Is it possible for you to repent? And if you do, will God honor your repentance with mercy? Because we saw in Revelation that as we approach nearing the return of Christ, the majority of the world will not repent. But what if God has brought you in here today and you hear about these judgments? You know what your life has been like when you tried to live with these vices of sexual immorality and drugs and violence and theft. You know the pleasures of Satan led to pain. And you are convicted today and said, God, I want to repent. Will he receive you is the question. Because the majority of the world is not going to repent. What about you? Well, the wonderful news is the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So if you're in this building today and you're saying, I want to repent, I feel a need, a longing for repent, I have sorrow over my sin, God, will you forgive me? If you're feeling that, you're feeling that because the kindness of God is not letting you go your way and he's producing repentance. Now listen, if there was ever a group of people that you would have said they are a lost cause and they had no chance of repenting, it occurred 2,000 years ago when the demons of hell, the largest concentration demons ever in one particular place, was in Jerusalem, inspiring the religious leaders to inspire the religious followers to nail Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to a cross to kill God's Son. Never have we seen the demons have this much influence in the world. The Bible says that Christ died and was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave. And 40 days later he sent his preachers out to preach that he was alive. And this was the first sermon they preached. This is Peter. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. I would say that would be a convicting sermon. You killed God's son. And they were filled with conviction. Look what they say. They think there's no hope. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart or pierced inwardly. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, well, what shall we do? There is no greater crime in the world than killing Jesus. This is what the, proof, the point I want to prove. If somebody killed Jesus Christ, can they be forgiven? Peter's answer. Peter replied, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you would have said there's a group of people that will never repent, and God would never accept, it would be those people who were so hardened in their heart that they crucified Christ. And, and look what happened when he, when he made this offer. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation, which is really the theme of the book of Revelation. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the church that day. 3,000 people that you would have said, written off, said they can't repent and God will not receive them when they do repent. God led them to repentance and their lives were changed. I want to tell you today about a beautiful changed life. She's a new friend in my life. 
Caitlin, if you would make your way to the stage. I was writing this sermon yesterday, and I'm always writing until the last minute, thinking, God, what else is there? And I started reading. I just got, I wasn't distracted. I think it was a holy distraction, or I wouldn't have met you. But she had written on Facebook about how God had changed her life. If you're not familiar with um, Jumpstart Ministry, it's one of the ministries of this church, one of the largest we support. And Jumpstart Ministry will take somebody who's about a year out from being released from prison. And if they're hungry to know Christ and they say, I desire to repent, Jumpstart will start discipling them. And when they get out, Jumpstart will continue that process for another year. And now thanks to you, this church, and many other churches in the city, Jumpstart is is actually helping, in addition to helping with a job and all that, Jumpstart just built, or begin building, but this is the first. It's called Restoration Village. It's just a few miles up the road. 26 homes. So that when formerly incarcerated men and women are who are pursuing Christ, brothers and sisters, disciples, when they're released and get off that bus, they'll have a home to go to because you're giving and God's inspiring you to give because his goodness is flowing through you. Well, what caught me, uh, what so blessed me when I saw this picture yesterday, I was at the groundbreaking uh, the first day we put shovels in the ground and I didn't realize Jumpstart was so far along but they just opened the first house this week and Caitlin is the first resident in the house. And so like a crazy man, I called her last night or yesterday afternoon I said, you don't know me, but I've heard a lot about you through the people at Jumpstart. And said, you're quite a leader and Christ has changed your life in beautiful ways. I said, would you come share with our people what God will do with somebody who says, I want to repent. So growing up, um, I was raised in church. My parents gave me a great foundation, taught me the importance of having a good relationship with God. Um, and I was on the right track. And then I turned 18 and decided that I knew best, went out on my own. Um, when that happened, I fell into the wrong crowd. I got involved with drugs, um, struggled with addiction, and chose toxic friends and toxic and abusive relationships. Um, for six years, I battled with my addiction, and it led me down a lot of dark roads. But no matter what, God was always there. I overdosed multiple times. I put myself in really bad situations that could have ended very, very badly. But he knew it wasn't my time yet, that he had bigger plans for me. Um, so my addiction led me to commit the, the crimes I did that landed me with a two-year prison sentence. I did 13 months off my two years. And while I was in there, um, I had the urge to open my Bible one day. And so I did. And when I did, I ended up turning to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And as soon as I read it, I started crying. I started bawling. Um, for the first time in years, I sat down and I had a conversation with God and decided that day that I was gonna live my life for him. And so I trusted him. I didn't know what I was gonna do when I got out, didn't know where I was gonna go, but I trusted that you know he would lead me down the right path. And he led me to Jumpstart. They came to the presentation, I applied, got accepted, 
and I got released 24 days ago on July 1st. Um, and since I've been out, it's been the easiest transition, and Jumpstart is the most amazing place. Not only do they, they give you a place to stay, transportation, food, but that it's also a community that really supports you in growing in your faith and growing in your relationship with God. And they guide you on that path because, you know, it's all filled with people who have good relationship with God. Um, so it's the best place I could be. And compared to a year and a half ago, I was on the streets, addicted, living day by day, stealing, doing terrible things. And now I have my family back. I'm talking to my daughter again. I have a great job and things have completely turned around. So I'm excited to see where he leads me from here. Yeah. What a verse to get saved on Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, not to condemn you, but plans to prosper you, to give you a future and to give you a hope. And so we're filled with great gratitude that a, a young girl who said, God, I want to repent, is now the daughter of God and the sister of Jesus Christ. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.